Welcome to A Canadian Investing in the U.S., a podcast and YouTube channel focused on Canadians buying real estate with host Glenn Sutherland. Welcome to another episode of A Canadian Investing in the U.S. This week, our special guest is Buck Joffrey. Uh, he is a surgeon, an author, an investor, and a Vikings fan. <laughs> is there anything else you want to add to that, Buck? No, I think uh, that about sums it up. I mean, I, I guess I'm a podcaster and investor, oh, yeah. all that stuff too. But I mean, you know, I mean, you you can only say so much, right? The father of three, uh, husband. <laughs> but yeah, the Vikings fan is probably the most important. Yeah, I had to make sure I added that in there for you. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me a little bit about how you transform from uh, becoming a surgeon to investing. Well, um, a couple, a couple things. First of all, you know, I, I think for me the the journey really started uh, by an accident. Uh, I, on the way back from my honeymoon, which was, you know, I got married the day after my surgical training ended, and uh, my wife and I went on, uh, got married the next day, and and went on a honeymoon. On the way back, I picked up a book uh, in a Mexican airport called Cashflow Quadrant, and uh, by Robert Kiyosaki, and for me. That book was really transformational because it opened my eyes in general to the idea of not being just a W-2 employee, what we call in the States a W-2 employee, uh, being somewhat more of an entrepreneur, being more of an investor, and all that really intrigued me. So I think that's really where it all started. And after that, um, you know, that encouraged me to, instead of going into practice, going to work for somebody else to quickly pivot and and starting my own business and um, so I started at it first as an entrepreneur and then as an entrepreneur I started to make money and when I started making money well then the Kiyosaki stuff started coming back again right real estate etc and um, you know my dad also is a uh, real estate investor he still is although I didn't really like the way he did it but the way Kiyosaki made it sound like it sounded like, hey, this is something that maybe I could do. So, um, so I got involved with that, and before long, um, to me, that became more interesting and more fun to find things to invest in. All of the, ultimately, what I would call sort of the financial engineering of wealth uh, became more interesting to me than the practice of medicine. And uh, and so I quit, and then I, I had a you know I trained until I was about 34 years old, practiced full time until I was about 39, went down part time for a couple of years, and then ultimately just left altogether. So, could you speak to how it's possible to leave your practice and for it to still exist when you're not there? Yeah, you know, when I, when I started it, fortunately, I started it with the mind of mindset of creating a business rather than a practice so from the beginning rather than having my name on the wall rather than just promoting myself I promoted a brand and uh, this brand became the name of a practice and and ultimately now I've got other doctors working for me so that's that's how it worked I actually did that with a couple of businesses in Chicago I still have them and I don't now I live in now I live in uh, in California so so it's, uh, it's, it's, that would be a long commute if I tried to still practice. So when did the, the transition to real estate? I guess you, you do other stuff than real estate, but it was this real estate the next step after having the, the, the practices? Yeah, that was when I started really investing. And uh, a guy who's since then become a friend of mine, Ken McElroy, um, who was the 
you know, he wrote the Kiyosaki books in real estate, ABCs of real estate investing and advanced uh, real estate investing. Uh, I read it, his books and it made it seem so easy that uh, I said, well, gosh, why am I not doing that? At least I understand that. So I started it. Now, it didn't go beautifully at the beginning because, you know, you, you learn along the way that there's more than just math to this yeah. to this thing. But, um, you know, at that after after a few you know, after a few bumps and bruises, it started going really well. And I kind of came up with my own rhythm on this. And so, so rather than, you know, I, I never, I never looked for a wealth advisor. I never looked for somebody to invest my money in equity markets and that sort of thing. Uh, based on, you know, my inspiration that I had and also knowing that, hey, you know, my dad sent me to med school and, you know, he was a real estate guy. So I know, I knew there was some truth to it. I knew it wasn't all, you know, just a bunch of hype. So why not go to a wealth advisor? Why not just uh, get someone else to handle it for you if you have a busy practice? Well, I mean, I think it, it, here's the thing is like at, at the core of it, there's, there's a couple things. First of all, I, I'm an entrepreneur. And so um, I, my feeling was, hey, um, if I can create a business and make millions of dollars, uh, then I should be able to take my own millions of dollars and turn it into more money. Now, why would I turn around and invest and, and hand over my money to somebody who doesn't make as much money as I do to invest it? That doesn't make a lot of sense, right? No. So, and so, and that's what you'll find with the ultra wealthy is for the most part, you know, they have family offices, et cetera, but they're not just handing their money over to a wealth advisor. And the other thing is with wealth advisors in general, you really only are talking about the equity markets. I really had no interest in investing in, in Wall Street. And so, um, you know, I was interested in real assets and, and really to just, you know, do the same thing with my investing that I was doing as a business guy and to look at all of my investors, uh, investments as business. I think really what it is is just trying to expand your own mind, right? I mean, uh, we live in the, West, in the West, in the U.S., Canada, et cetera. We live a very sort of uh, stereotype lives, right? We, we go to we all go to the same type of school growing up we you know we have yeah, standard we have 12, education yeah you know if you guys have 12 grades or i mean do you are you 12 we we're 12 now we used to have the 13 the oac but they got rid of that if, i don't know how long ago well that system was was built 12 12 grades were were part of a system of uh during the industrial revolution uh that was brought over from the prussians and this was an industrial revolution uh, type model where if you look at it, it's almost like you, you see this like from one, um, you know, you take one kid and then you plop them down in 12 different places with, and you get a little bit of information at each point. And at the end of the 12, they basically drop you off the, off the conveyor belt, right? And, and so, uh, but that, and that's not a bad thing. And for the time, I think it was a really good, uh, good model. I mean, we really didn't have a, a good public education model then. But the negative part of that is that, that as kids and as we grow up, we tend to expect that kind of learning um, in our lives, uh, where at each station we are told what to learn, we are told what is right, what is wrong. And uh, and then, you know, we the, the ones of us who do better in school uh, tend to be the ones who keep getting things right, and we end up being the ones who end up getting high-paid jobs later on. 
The problem is that once we finish curriculum, uh, we go out into the real world. And then for the first time in our lives, we start thinking, well, wait a second. What am I supposed to do with my money? Um, and the next thing you know, we start relying on conventional wisdom. The problem with conventional wisdom in finances, in, in financial con conventional wisdom, is a lot of times that they are controlled. It was created by special interests in the first place. So, you know, in the case of Wall Street, they want you to believe that you're not capable of investing your own money. Why? Because they want you to put your money into Wall yep. Street. They want commissions. <laughs> they want a commission. And the whole, you know, that's the way Wall Street works. That's the way banks work, right? Is, is you put money into this system and, you know, you work hard for your money and they basically take a commission off your money. That's how it works. So I don't know if it's limited beliefs uh, that I'm, I'm really getting at here as much as I am. Why do you believe what you believe and why do you have the paradigm that you do? Yeah, exactly. I think that's, that's, the, uh, that's the real question. And if you can really start, if you can really start questioning some of these things, uh, you may find examples out there of people who are doing quite well, uh, not following those rules. In fact, I would, I would venture to say that if you look at the wealthiest people in the world, the wealthiest families, most of them aren't following any of these rules at all. If you look at the Rothschild family, you know, one of the wealth, wealthiest family probably in the history of the world, I can guarantee you they're not investing in mutual funds. So they own banks, they own real estate, they own businesses. Uh, you know, they they own that these types of things. They don't they don't own like you know bonds. And, yeah. You know. The, the better students will actually probably have a harder time to break out of this paradigm because they're they're the ones who have you know drank the Kool Aid the most. Like they're they've you know been asked to do something, they've done it, they've completed the task, and they've got rewarded with their the good grade. Yeah, and I think reward is the key word there because there's this big feedback loop, right? We all we all run to pleasure and run away from pain, right? Yep. And when somebody's constantly patting you on the back for doing well as a good student, you, you don't really want to go and uh, run away from that. So it creates this Pavlovian feedback loop that makes you want more of the same. So I think you're absolutely right. In fact, I said that exact same thing uh, to Robert Kiyosaki when he was on my show uh, a few months ago. And I said, Robert, you know, uh, you know, because he always talks about how A students work for C students yeah, and yeah. students work for the government. I said, you know, what you don't realize is, and I don't think you realize this, Robert, is that there's a reason for this. Uh, there's a reason for this is that most of us who have done very well in school are not used to failure. And, and most entrepreneurs, um, that's one of the hallmarks of being an entrepreneur. You have to be okay at failure. You have to be able to get up and, and, and move on and you have to be able to you know, make up the world as you as you go. It it can't be all structured for you in the first place. That's very difficult yeah. for high performing uh, students to do. Yeah, I think I think you know, for me, investing with somebody else has very little to do with the private placement documents, right? Yeah. Uh, oh, you have to know the person <laughs> or have yeah, a good feel. It's really about who you know, like and trust. You know, I always say that your network is really equivalent to your net worth. Ultimately, that will be true. The more people that you know, uh, the more people you trust, the people, the smart people around you is going to create wealth for you. And um, so as part of the process of investing passively, uh, you know, in, in a syndication, like, you know, we do plenty of syndications, you have to 
you have to understand that you are going to get documents that are going to be legal documents because of the world we live in, there's no guarantee that any investment, I don't care what it is, is ever guaranteed. Yep. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, you know, we live in a world that uh, if things don't work out, people automatically want to sue. So you're going to have to sign documents. Now, you need to cover you know, CYA or C yeah, yeah, CYA. Yeah. Well, you think about it this way, though, is that, um, you know, my friend Mauricio Raul, who's my SEC attorney, says, he says, uh, you know, you, no, one, no one is supposed to uh, invest in something because of the private placement memorandum, right? It's sort of like, you know, I'm a, I'm a surgeon by training. No one ever signs, no one ever looks at the surgical consent and says, hey, yeah, sign me up for one of those. <laughs> right? Yeah, no. <laughs> you either, you need the operation. You have to, you know, you, you need the operation for some reason, or maybe you're having cosmetic surgery and you want the operation. That's why you do it. The surgical consent tells you all the things that could go wrong. You do, you sign it despite the risks, right? You're not sold because of the documents. You're sold because of the deal. The outcome, and so that's the way you got to look at it. Buck, can you tell us a little bit about the uh, infinite return model you're using for uh, your investing? Yeah, so this is, you know, this is. Listen, this is the way I invest in real estate now, and um, and in fact, I'll say I invest in pretty much everything I do the same way. The idea is quite simple. Um, let's take, for example, why do most of us invest in real estate, and what do we look at when we do? We say. We look at things like cash on cash. We look at, you know, what's our ROI or cash on cash? And Cap, yeah. a lot of times people will be happy if they can say their cash on cash is 10%, maybe 12%, something like that. And that's not a bad way to look at it. Now, but if, but if all you had was cash on cash or return on investment and it was 10%, what does that mean in terms of how long it takes you to get your money back before you're actually making money? Well, well, 10, 10 years for a 10%. 10 years, right? So yeah. 10 years. So so you're really, for 10 years, you're just getting your own money back. So what's so great about that? Yeah. Right? So here's the way I like to look at it. Instead of looking at opportunities as cash on cash or return on investment, what I focus on is how quickly can I get my money back in a deal? and still have still have equity in the deal. How can I get my capital that I've invested off the table and still have equity in a deal for the long term? Because you know what? That becomes infinite return because you have nothing, there's nothing there on the table anymore. You're out of the deal, your money's moved into something, you've recycled it into another opportunity. So everything else that you're getting there is infinite return. So what so, kind of strategies are you using for that? Is like you're talking yes. about that. We'll go ahead. So yeah, so we have, um, let me give you an example of actually my uh, a group that I work with uh, that's based in Canada actually, so they're open to Canadian investors as well. And, um, but So I work with them a lot. Well, this is their model, it's pretty interesting. They're, they're, all their property is in the United States and we're deal, dealing right now in fact on a, on a property um, in, in Mesa, Arizona. But effectively what it is, is they, they have a certain kind of Fannie Mae loan that allows them to take uh, to to um, to refinance uh, or uh, refinance effectively every year, 
And so what they do is they come in with a very, very deep value add plan, right? So they're going to crank up that net operating income. And so say you have an investor who has $50,000 in a deal. Yeah. So their plan is for after the first year that they're going to get you maybe $25,000 back. After the second year, they'll get you another $10,000 back. After the third year, they'll get you another ten, and then by the end of the fourth year, you got all your money back in your pocket. But you've started getting that money back, really, right, right away. At, right, almost like after a year. So they so, they don't do uh, like the off the cash flow. You're not getting like a, a monthly return. It's just big chunks. Well, no, you're right. But initially, remember this is this is off the bat. Yeah. They don't participate in cash flow or capital gains until investors have all their own money in their pocket. Then the split starts, right? Okay. Yeah. Then, now that everybody has all their money back and they only have upside, that's when there's a split. So by year five, we may still have double-digit returns for investors, but now it's true profit. It's not pretend profit. Right, it's not. I'm I'm 10% cash on cash, but I'm actually three years into this, so really I'm still just getting my money back. At this point, you have your money back. You're getting real return, and in the meantime, you might have invested within another deal with them doing the same thing. So if you can imagine, over time, uh, it's a much more efficient use of capital, right? Because uh, you know people talk about I I want to have say maybe $10,000 a month in in free cash flow. That's my goal. You know, by investing. If all you did was invest in 10% cash on cash deals all day long, you need a million dollars to do that. Yeah. You need to put in over time a million dollars. But now, what if you are constantly getting your money back every few years? Every every year, you're getting a chunk of your money back. Well, that's going to cut the amount of time to get to that $10,000 way down. Because it's it's like a compound on compound interest. Because you're that, getting the, you can reinvest it into another deal. Exactly. It's recycling. It's compounding is exactly right. Yeah. And so that's what I that's what I call infinite, uh, you know, the uh, infinite investing technique. And, you know, there's there's a lot of syndicators who do that uh, and have been doing that for years. I mean, Ken McElroy, I've talked about him a couple of times. Ken's model, that's basically it. Right. But he doesn't use a year to year uh, refinance. Um, it's usually like most people, like most of the time you hear a five-year or six-year refinance and then you're hoping to get capital back. But what I'm talking about is literally after year one, boom, you're starting to get capital back. And that's totally different. Um, and, and that, the quicker you can get capital back, the faster you can grow your money. It's just a velocity of money. So just thinking here, what if the market just started to turn? I'm not saying like a full recession, but then... <clears throat> maybe the refi, because it's probably going to be based on the value, you might be able to get the refi that you want. That's right. You don't, But then you don't have the security of them paying out like a, a cash flow every month, right? Like a, well, there, a preferred there return. Cash, there is cash flow as well. Um, it's just, you know, that's not the big chunk because so much of it is in, um, is is really trying to improve net operating income. So, yeah, so let's let's answer your question. So, Basically, the answer is that it doesn't really matter what cap rates uh, do because there's one of two things going to happen. If you can't refinance for enough, you're going to have more cash flow, right? Yeah. Um, if, you can ref if you can refi, you're just going to get the capital off the table. 
So either way, you're going to get money back. So you do the real estate and you do, you have the, the practices you own. Do you do any other kind of investing? Do you do crypto? Do you do anything else? I'm all over the place. You know, I just, this is a passion for me. It's investing and learning new, te- new ways of, of, of making money, frankly. Um, so, <clears throat> you know, I'm, I'm in multifamily. Um, I'm in the self-storage space as well. Um, and I have a, have a partner uh, group mostly in the southeast United States that we do that with. Um, like in the multifamily, mostly it's, it's southwest, uh, although we're in Texas as well. Uh, and again, that is a Canadian company, so the Canadian yeah. investors participate as well. The um, the other things that I do involve, I am in the cryptocurrency space. Um, I don't consider that sort of one of my main things. I would consider it. Uh, I would consider myself a cryptocurrency enthusiast who's done well. I do have a small cryptocurrency hedge fund. It's not open, but it, I do have that. Um, I also, um, and then on the opposite of that spectrum, I also have a, a, a fund. Uh, that I also deal in the in the world of life settlements, which is totally different than than most people uh, have probably dealt with. So, yeah, tell me a little bit about your roadmap to wealth training program. Yeah, so um, I did this course uh, called Your Roadmap to Real Wealth, and um, you know you can you can check it out at uh, wealthformularoadmap.com. But it is the course that I wish I had when I finished residency training. Because, as I mentioned before, there's no curriculum for this stuff, right? right. Um, there is conventional wisdom that's written by Wall Street and special interests. Um, the wealthy invest by a different set of rules. And there's no rule book there that's written that you can just check it out from the library and read it. And so what I've tried to do is I've tried to create that type of program that helps you as a professional. Maybe you're not making you know millions of dollars a year, but maybe you make a hundred thousand dollars a year or something like that. That you can still you know use a lot of the same things, the same uh, strategies um, that that the ultra wealthy do, because I think that's the way, in my opinion, uh, you can more efficiently grow your wealth. Who all did you work on on creating that, or work with on so, creating this? There's some there's some uh, really strong people in there. Um, you know there is um, the real estate guys from Real Estate Guys Radio, uh, Ken McElroy, again a Rich Dad advisor, um, friend of mine who's uh, ABCs of real estate, um, Kevin Day who's like a world class asset protection estate planning attorney. Um, you know Dean Graziosi, uh, a lot of people probably know, is also in there. Um, now there's just there's a number of uh, very very well known branded individuals who've who've just got a wealth of knowledge no pun intended <laughs> uh, but you know these these are the folks who really know the world of the wealthy and so they were kind enough to 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 work on that project with me and we we shot the whole thing in Phoenix and I think it turned out really good yeah I, I originally found out about it through uh, Marco yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Marco's in it too. Yeah, <laughs> Marco. But yeah, I just had him two weeks ago as on uh, on the show. If uh, people wanted to reach out to you to find out about the course or uh, syndication or anything else, what's a good way to get a hold of you? Well, there's the there's the podcast, of course, where you can download that from pretty much anywhere where you can download anything and music wise, and that's Wealth Formula Podcast. Uh, the website is wealthformula.com. 
Uh, you can also, you know, just get a free copy of my uh, book, Seven Secrets of Eternal Wealth. If, even if you just text me, you can get the uh, uh, downloadable version. And you can do that simply by um, uh, download. You can text 44222 and type in wealth formula as one word, and you'll get a free copy of, of my book, too, which was an Amazon number one bestseller. And it's so, still on Amazon also. I, it's I just, still on Amazon, but yeah. you can pay for it if you want, or you could just text Well, I, I just purchased, <laughs> I purchased it because I like the uh, hard copy instead of the, okay, the Kindle it. version. Yeah, 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 no problem. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, that's great. Appreciate it. Well, thank you for your time, Buck. You bet. Thank you.